We're happy to see each one of you and thankful for your involvement in our collective worship of God today. We want to give a special greeting to our visitors along with an invitation to come and be with us at each opportunity. Your presence is a blessing to all of us. We're thankful for those that are connected through Zoom this morning, and we would invite everyone under the sound of my voice to consider the words that we're going to look at from God's Word today. We seek to be edified and built up in the most holy faith. We're going to begin in John chapter 18. We want to read a narrative beginning in verse 3. These are events surrounding the arrest of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He has just finished His time of prayer in Gethsemane. Judas has earlier made an agreement with the Jews to sell Christ for 30 pieces of silver. And so this group approaches Christ. The Bible says, Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are ye seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. We look at this group described. This wasn't just a common mob, but this was Judas with a group of soldiers. He came, they came with authority from this group, the scribes and Pharisees, those that accompanied them. They came to apprehend a criminal. Notice that they came with lanterns, torches, and weapons. They came expecting difficulty in apprehending Jesus. He had slipped away from them in times past, and they thought He would do that again, and certainly He would have that power if He chose to do so. But it was time for Christ to go and to be crucified and to fulfill the redemptive plan. So the Bible said that he stepped forward and he said, I am he. This caused amazement by the crowd that came to arrest him. It says in verse 6 that they fell back in amazement. You see, they did not find the Jesus that they set out to find. They came with one impression of who Christ was, and when they got there, they found Christ to be someone different. Today, as we think about our interaction with one another, sometimes we take an impression of a person. It's a surface impression, and we think about that person in one way, but then when we get to know them, they turn out to be someone totally different. Today, as we think in spiritual terms, there are so many who seek a Jesus that they will never find. Who are we seeking this morning? Today, these song leaders led songs about our Savior, Jesus Christ. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is His name. Before Thy throne, Christ my Savior is God. Holy ground, perfect and holy God. Speaking of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then the last song we sang before the lesson, 
I believe in Jesus. Do you know that there's different versions of Jesus? There's versions that people want to find that are unrealistic. There are version, there is a true version of Christ that we find in Scripture. Maybe we have a false impression of who Christ is and who we are seeking. This morning we want to look at some misconceptions of Jesus and we want to straighten them out by looking at evidence and by looking at Scripture. The first Christ that a great number of people are seeking is the mythological Christ. Some say that Christ is nothing more than a myth. These are the atheists which says there is no God. This is the antagonist that says, I'm not sure there is a God. But these people say that the Bible is a fairy tale and the Son of God is an imaginary character made up by men and enhanced by ages of folklore. These claim that Christ is a figment of imagination and a crutch for those who are mentally weak. There's a lot of people looking for this mythical Christ. By the fruit, we see that what motivates a person to look for this Christ is that they don't want to accept the true Christ of Scripture. By attacking Scripture and undermining its validity, they believe that they can live their life as they please with no accountability and no condemnation for evil in their lives. The mythological Jesus cannot be found. One who approaches the Scripture with honesty and with integrity and approaches the record of history with the evidence that is presented sees that the Jesus of the Bible is the one that is reality. There have been multitudes of books written by skeptics that set out to prove that Jesus is not real. And these men took time and effort to check and look at the information, and after honest and accurate evaluation, they have concluded that Jesus is indeed who He said He was in the Bible. God and the Bible are proven in many different ways. We could take multiple lessons and talk about the apologetics that prove who Jesus really is. We will not take time to do that this morning, but I want to remind each one of us about these areas of evidence that speak to the reality of Jesus of the Bible. There is the evidence of intelligent design, of cause and effect, of the complexity of nature and of the human body. There's the evidence of fossil records, of archaeology, evidence in historical writings. There's evidence because of the existence of morals in societies from the very beginning of history. Within the Scripture itself, there's scientific foreknowledge, there's prophecy, and there's internal agreement of this book that cannot be explained in any other way other than God inspired this book. Men who spoke of things that would happen in detail seven, eight hundred, two thousand years before these things happened and they occurred just as they were stated. Evidence of science far before our scientific community learned 
the curvature of the earth, the currents in the ocean, many, many more things that this book reveals, and there's no other explanation other than the fact that the Bible is inspired and the words of the Bible are true and the Jesus of the Scripture is a reality. We stand on a mountain of evidence. We stand on fact, not myth, not fable, not emotions, not a feeling, but we stand on fact that Jesus Christ is not a myth, but He is a real person. Even though we can't cover all of these areas in detail, I would like to address one part of the evidence that we find specifically regarding Christ and His existence. And that is the fact that men and women who knew Christ were willing to give their life for His cause. I want to ask you this morning, do people die for something that is imaginary or something that's a lie, something that they don't believe in? People will lay down their life on rare occasions for noble causes, but no one will knowingly lay down their life for a lie. Martyrs for the cause of Christ in the first century believed or they would not have given their lives for Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 5 verse or Acts 2 verse 32, this Jesus God hath raised up of which we are all witnesses. Speaking on behalf of all the apostles, Peter said, "We are witnesses of the resurrected Christ." He was not hesitant in this regard at all. The Bible records the death of two apostles, Judas and James. But writings of history report the death of seven other apostles who were mortars. At least two of the apostles, Andrew and Peter, were crucified, the latter upside down, not feeling that he deserved to die the same way that Christ died. Even the apostle John, who tradition says died of old age, exiled in Patmos, lived a life of tribulation because of his belief. And I ask you, why did these men endure all of this? Was it far a lie? We look to Revelation 6 verse 9 and we see there the opening of the fifth seal. And in that account, we see the souls of the martyrs who died for the cause of Christ around the throne of God. We see that picture, a picture of reality. That people were, living, were willing to die for Jesus. Sometimes people bring up suicide bombers or kamikaze pilots and they talk about, well, there's a lot of people willing to die for a cause. But you see, these things are very different. They've been brainwashed to lash out in hate and to terrorize others for evil causes. But think back to the disciples of Christ, these that we've mentioned that died. They didn't lash out at others. In fact, they treated others kindly. They were loving. They voluntarily took abuse and persecution and even death because of their conviction in the real Christ. If we honestly search for this mythological Jesus, we will not find Him in reality. This Jesus is only in the imagination of unbelievers.
What about the historical Christ? Millions of people are looking for the historical Christ. They would acknowledge that Jesus is a real person in history. They look at the history, evidence of history, the documents outside the Bible, and they point to this as evidence of the existence of Jesus of Nazareth. While they believed that he existed, they that he existed, they believed that he was just a man. Maybe even a good man, maybe a prophet, but they will not look for the Christ who is the Son of God. There are millions of people today who are looking for this Jesus. They would form all the major religious worldviews. Hinduism, Buddhist, Muslim, even those of the Jewish faith will not accept Christ as the true Son of God, but they're looking for this historical Jesus. They claim He was not born of a virgin. He did not perform miracles. He was not resurrected from the dead. He was a man that lived, but He was not deity. And they will take any shred of evidence to try to prove that this is the case. Josh McDowell wrote an article or book about this idea, and he said, Christ has to be liar, lunatic, or Lord. And I believe he very aptly describes the case. If we're honest, if we're looking at the evidence, either Christ lied about who He was, He was a lunatic who didn't understand who He was, or He was our Lord. Liar who intentionally deceives others or a lunatic that is delusional does not qualify as a good man or a teacher of good morals. It doesn't make any sense if we look at this realistically that Christ could be anyone other than the Lord that we sang about this morning. The Lord that we sang, that we believe in, that performed these miracles that was resurrected, that is now sitting at the right hand of God. Ideas have been promoted through books and movies, such as The Da Vinci Code, the sequel Angels and Demons, many documentaries that are published by CNN or Smithsonian Channel or the History Channel. They try to make Christ out to be just a figure of history, a common man that married Mary Magdalene and had children. These things are not reality. They are made up in the imaginations of those who write these ideas for the purpose of entertainment. What drives this type of thinking to undermine Jesus Christ as the living God? How should we approach such ideas and theories? And how do we interact with people that advance these ideas? I believe that we can present evidence, just as we did, to note that Christ is not a myth. There is a mountain of evidence that Christ is the Son of God. There are over 24,000 transcripts that back up the authenticity of the New Testament Scriptures. And yet people will go to unsubstantiated theories, obscure ideas that come from the minds of men, and they choose to believe those rather than what we find in the inspired Word of God. The agenda is to undermine Jesus Christ. Those who knew Jesus best 
gave a testimony about Christ. Are we willing to listen to those witnesses? Did they say He was just a man? No, they knew the true Jesus. In Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, we find this record. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And He said unto them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who did people or men say that Christ was? Well, some thought He was John the Baptist. Some thought He was another prophet, some of these other people. But Christ asked those that were closest to Him, that were the most valid witnesses of who He was. He said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered with this magnificent confession, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. In the beginning of Christ's ministry, before Peter ever knew Christ, his brother Andrew came to him, and we have this recorded in John chapter 1, verse 41. Andrew said, We have found Christ. We found the Christ. Andrew knew who Christ was because he, knew, he looked at the evidence. And he saw this person. He saw the Son of God performing these miracles. Peter's life was never the same once he came and embraced Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Truly, Jesus portrayed every characteristic of the Messiah, fulfilling 300 prophecies, performing undeniable miracles over and over during His personal ministry. His greatest miracle was His own resurrection that happened after He was put in the grave for three days and He burst forth, defeating death and defeating Satan. Jesus was seen of many witnesses after His resurrection. The Bible tells us on one occasion He was seen of over 500 at one time. Those who were there did not doubt who Christ was. Not only that, but we have a historical, credible record of His resurrection. We sang this morning that we believe in an empty tomb. Do you know those skeptics and those that doubted Christ would have loved to have found Christ's body? That body was never found. The tomb was empty because Jesus is surely who He says that He is. What did the Apostle John say about Christ? Probably one of the greatest testimonies in Scripture regarding the divinity of Christ was penned here in these verses in 1 John 1, beginning verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that, eter that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is what? With the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John, who is Jesus? 
Jesus is God's Son. Who do you, why do you say that, John? Because I saw Him, I heard Him, I touched Him. These are the true witnesses that we can believe, that we can base our faith foundation upon. In fact, John was so adamant about the divinity of Christ that in 2 John verses 10 and 11, he said we should not receive into our house or bid Godspeed to those who deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He came in the flesh. It's dangerous to look at these misrepresentations of who Christ is and seek to embrace them. They will undermine our faith. They will destroy the true nature of Jesus Christ, our Savior. What about other witnesses? What was Thomas's testimony? My Lord, my God. He was skeptical. He wouldn't receive until he touched and saw for it with his own eyes. And he was a witness to the divinity of Jesus Christ. What about Saul of Tarsus, who persecuted Christ until he saw who Jesus was, and then he made an about-face. And he endured more suffering in his life than we can even imagine. Remember the record in 2 Corinthians 11? Of everything he endured, he did that, not because of a historical Christ, but because of the factual Christ, the Son of God. Let's consider one final witness. This was the centurion that was at the foot of the cross. He was a Roman without agenda for or against Christ. He looked at an evaluation of who Christ was, and he stated here in Matthew 27 and verse 54, truly this was the Son of God. We've mentioned five witnesses that tell us that Christ wasn't just a historical figure, but He was the Son of God. We could produce many, many more witnesses, more testimony from Scripture. But who are we going to believe? These witnesses that give a valid testimony or something else that is being advanced in the mind of those who have an agenda to not believe. The Scriptures are to believe in God or to believe in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's another Christ that people are looking for. They want to find the non-controversial Christ. They're looking for a Jesus who's going to make it easy for them to be a Christian in a world of unbelievers and persecution. They're looking to follow a Lord who isn't going to cause any waves. I'm going to tell you this morning that this Jesus does not exist any more than the mythological or the historical Jesus. This is a Jesus of fiction. Jesus is truly the Prince of Peace, bringing opportunity for all who will come to Him to have peace with God in heaven. But the Jesus of reality brought much controversy between people. The controversy came because of exactly what we just described, who He is, the Son of the living God. Look back to John chapter 18 where we started. Christ has been arrested, as we noted, and brought before Pilate. Pilate asked Christ who he was. He said, are you the king then? 
Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate was trying to figure out who Christ was. He didn't want to find the true Christ, but he asked Christ, Are you the king? Christ answered that question, and he said, I have come as a witness to the truth. There is no doubt to why Jesus came to this earth. He stated very clearly that he came to seek and save the lost. He came to do the will of the Father. He came to bring this truth, this absolute truth from heaven, to teach it to man, then to inspire through the Holy Spirit, returning to the apostles, the writing of the New Testament. This is truth. This is what Christ came to bring. Because of that truth, Jesus caused controversy everywhere He went. Pilate didn't want to accept, accept Jesus as king. The Jews certainly refused to accept Him as their king. And right shortly after this question, they were... Uh, screaming, crucify Him, crucify Him. They did not want to see Christ for who He really was. Christ's enemies challenged Him throughout His life and then brought about His death. Jesus was marked, and those who followed Him were marked as well. Mark 13 and 13, And you will be hated for all for My name's sake, but he that endures until the end shall be saved. Why would we find it surprising that when we follow the Jesus of Scripture that it's going to create controversy? That there's going to be enemies that do not want to accept that. They didn't accept Christ, and they're not going to accept Christ's followers. Why do you think these apostles were put to death? Because Christ came as a real person with the factual truth, and He stood for that truth. We cannot find in reality the non-controversial Christ. Christ's teaching set people at odds with one another, even within families. And that's what He stated very clearly here in Matthew chapter 10. He did not come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword. And then He says very clearly that if we love our father, mother, our child, whoever the family person might be, if we love them more than Him, we are not worthy of Him. People want to find a Christ that will not cause conflict, that will embrace this tolerant idea, live and let live. This is not the true Jesus. John 14, verse number 6, is probably the most controversial verse in all of the Bible for those that want to embrace a non-controversial Jesus. When we travel to India and we interact with the Hindus and we talk about Christ, they say, well, that's fine. Christ can be another one of our multitude of gods. We don't have a problem if you want to follow Christ and that perspective. But when you speak of the only way, the only truth, and the only one that provides life, then there's extreme resistance. They don't want to accept the exclusive statements of Christ. 
These things are controversial. Christ is the source of the truth, singular, the truth. He is the, the only way, singular. He, not, he isn't some truth or a truth or situational truth or something good that we need to listen to. He, he is the singular absolute truth. Yes, there is things that are absolutely wrong. There's things that are absolutely right. And God tells us through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, through the final revelation of God, He tells us what these things are. When we seek to be tolerable of things that are sinful or wrong according to what Christ tells us, then we seek a Christ that cannot be found. We hear these type of statements in our ecumenical culture today. We're all going to heaven. We're getting there different ways. Join the church of your choice. Thank God that He's given us all of these choices. Come as you are. You'll be loved no matter what you are or what you do. You don't need to change to meet any criteria. Just be yourself and God will accept you. It's this idea... That love equals tolerance. Let me say that again. It's this idea that love equals tolerance. And the reality of the Christ of the Scripture teaches us that love equals truth. Love equals truth. Of course, we have to speak the truth in love. But speaking lies to be tolerant or looking the other way to be tolerant is not an example that we find from our Savior, Jesus Christ. We can expand this even further. There are people in our environment today that are saying, well, Christians, if you really want to improve your religion, you need to study other world religions. You need to study these religions like Hinduism and Buddhism. You need to study the belief of the Muslims because there's good in all of these religions and you should study them and you should embrace them. You should coexist with all of these things, all of these worldviews that we find around us today. These philosophies will not work with Jesus. He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life. Here is a symbol that's been promoted in our world to embrace all different world religions. Coexist. Let everybody live and let live. There's no problem with embracing any and all of this. This word coexist has got different religious symbols here. The crescent moon of Islam, the peace sign, the gender equality symbol that has become a religion in our world today. All of this discussion about gender becomes something that people will follow regardless. We have the Star of David representing Judaism. The eye representing paganism. A yin-yang representing Taoism. And then at the very end, we have the cross representing Christ. Just like these Hindus that I mentioned. Yeah, you can have Christ, but He just needs to be the equivalent of all of these others. Mohammed. Buddha, Confucius. 
We're dealing with the Son of God. We're not dealing with a good person who came to have a few good things to say. We need to look at this and we need to understand it and we need to be able to deliver truth not only in our own heart, but to others who are embracing these types of ideas in our world today. Even though many claim to find this non-controversial Jesus, in reality, He does not exist. Well, what about the non-offensive Christ? This is a similar idea. Well, yeah, He's the, the way, the truth, and the life, but, but He's not going to do anything to offend people because He loves people. People that love want everybody else to be happy, so they're not going to cause any offense. They're not going to speak the truth when it brings about some type of friction. We have a lot of people looking for this Christ. Is this a Christ of reality that we find in Scripture? The reality is many found the Lord's teaching to be offensive when He gave it in the account that we find recorded in Scripture. What happened in Matthew chapter 15? Christ was speaking love, the truth, to the Pharisees. They were calloused of heart. They were hard-hearted. He was being very direct about what they needed. He was speaking the truth. His disciples came to Him and said, You know, Lord, you're offending these people. You need to change what you're, the method of what you're saying here. Christ was the all-time example of the greatest teacher and preacher that we could ever know. And He saw the hearts of these people and He chose to be direct with them. He was not worried about offending them. What did He say in answer to their question? Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone, they be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch. Do you see love as Christ exemplified it? His love was for the Pharisees. He saw them as leading and falling into a ditch. He saw the ones that they were leading as being those that would fall into the ditch. His love prompted him to teach them the truth because he didn't want them to be lost eternally. He came to this earth and demonstrated the greatest sacrifice that could be demonstrated because of His love for people. Love does not equal tolerance. Love does not accept everything even though it's a lie. When we do that, we're not following the Christ of Scripture. When we say, I believe in Christ, and we sing all of those words, but then we want to tolerate everything, then we're being hypocritical with our words, because our deeds are not following what we speak. A few days, or a little while later in the record in chapter 23, Christ spent a whole sermon talking about the corruption of the Pharisees and their hypocrisy. And a few days later, He was crucified by these very people. Christ was not one that avoided offense. What about the rich young ruler of Mark chapter 10? Here's an account of a young man who ran to Christ. He came and he kneeled to Christ. He was worshiping Christ. 
He said, what do I lack yet? Did Christ give him a smooth answer so that he wouldn't offend him? He didn't. He spoke the truth in love, just as we're admonished in Ephesians chapter 4. We're not given a license to be disrespectful or hateful, to lash out at people. That's not what this is about. This is about seeking the best way to teach people the truth so that they will be blessed. And that's what Jesus did here in this example in Mark chapter 10. He said, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and take up the cross and follow me. This young ruler went away sorrowful, sorrowfully. He had a problem with covetousness, didn't he? I want to ask you this question. Did Jesus say to him, just come on in anyway? Did Jesus run after this man and say, please, please come back. I can't afford to lose a, such a prestigious person in my band of disciples. Come back. You can come as you are. That's not what Christ did. If you read the, la- the next verses, He used this as an opportunity to teach His apostles a lesson about the evils of riches. That's what He did. He didn't accept people as they were. When they had issues, He pointed out the issues, and He pled with them to change those things and to turn to Him. You see, there's an element of repentance in everything that Christ stood for. And that element of repentance, people want to set aside in the name of love and say that we need to tolerate without repentance. Is that the the Jesus that you're looking for this morning? You will not be able to find Him. Here's probably the the most common desire of people who state they want to follow God, they believe in God, and they want to follow Christ. And that's this idea of the convenient Jesus. One that requires little. A faith-only Savior. One that's happy with lip service as long as we say the right things. And on the surface, we, we look the right way. Well, Jesus is going to be happy with us. A Jesus that will bring blessings but does not require anything of the person seeking that relationship. A Jesus that doesn't require our heart from the very core of who we are. There's so many people that want Christ on those terms. They want to find this convenient Christ because they can still do what they want to and they can feel good about doing it and being saved at the end. The very first thing that Christ said about being a disciple, He said, you have to deny self. That means we have to tell ourselves no. We have to set that will aside. We have to embrace Christ's will. He has to become the one that is inside us and directing our paths. Galatians 2, verse 21, we crucify the old man We put Christ in our life, and He carries us forward. In contrast to the convenient Jesus, the real one insists that we obey. 
That's the real difference, isn't it? Does Christ insist that we obey His will or not? The Christ of Scripture. We use this verse a lot about sending people out to teach the gospel, but I want to specifically notice this phrase in the first part of verse number 20. What did Christ tell His evangelists to teach? Of course, about baptism and becoming a child of God, but then He said you need to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. You know, sometimes we really emphasize, let's get out here, let's spread the gospel, let's teach the Word of God, let's convert people. But what about this other part? Is it important that we learn to obey all things that God has commanded, that Christ has commanded? That's what Christ said right here in His own words. When He sent His people out to carry His mission, He said, you need to teach people that they have to obey. This is a reality of the Christ that we serve. We can't pick and choose the part that we do want to embrace and throw the other out. Brother Kerry taught us last Sunday night about a buffet religion. And that's the way we want Christ. We want to take the part that we want and we want to leave the rest. Do you know the reality of the Christ that we have in the Scriptures we either take Him all, or we don't take Him at all. That's what Christ teaches. That's the, script, that's the Jesus of the Bible. Are we really looking for Him today, or do we have elements of looking for this Christ of convenience? I have yet to read in the Bible where we can pick and choose what appeals to us. People understand that they don't get full-time benefits when they put in part-time work, except when it comes to religion. And people think that they can do this surface thing, they can do this lip service, they can do the part-time thing, and they're going to get the full benefits. This convenient Jesus, so popular with so many around us, but in reality, He cannot be found. This mob went out with Judas to seek a criminal, and they found someone else. Today, so many people set out to seek Christ, and they find something else. Sometimes they fall back in amazement at what Christ teaches and what He requires, and what we must be to be His true disciples. Do we fall back in amazement and decide we're going to adjust because we don't want to give it all? Are we that person? In Luke 6, verse 46, Jesus said, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? The real Christ... Not a convenient Christ. Not any of these Christs that we've talked about. The mythological, the historical, the non-controversial, the non-offensive, the convenient Christ. I submit to you today that the, none of these are real, and yet the majority of people are seeking one of these Christs. What about us? Who are we seeking this morning?
At one point, many of Christ's disciples had left him, so he turned and he asked Peter a very important question. He said, But Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Christ said, Are all of y'all going to leave me like these other disciples? This was a very wise moment for Peter. He didn't always have wise moments, but this was one. He said, To whom shall we go? Where else is there to go? Do you want to go to Buddha, Confucius, any number of a thousand or a hundred thousand different Hindu gods? Do you want to go to Muhammad? Do you want to go to this guy that wrote the Tao religion for, for those in China? Do you want to go? There is no other Savior other than Jesus Christ. To whom shall we go? I believe that, that this is a profound question that, that Peter gives. You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We must pursue this Christ. If we pursue a fictitious Christ, we will hear those final words, I never knew you. Here were people that were seeking a Christ that would fit them. They prophesied in His name. They cast out devils in His name. They did many wonderful works in His name. They stood in front of Him in judgment. And their expectation was to receive the reward that our Savior Jesus Christ offers as a blessing to those who will follow Him. What were the words that they heard uttered that day? I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Very serious that we seek out and that we find the real Christ, the Christ that is portrayed in Scripture. If you've never obeyed Christ in baptism, we would encourage you to do that this morning. You have the perfect opportunity. We have water in the baptistry. We have clothes for you to change into. If you want to accept Christ and be a child of His, we would invite you to come forward this morning. If you would like to have the prayers of the church to regain strength, to overcome things that maybe are causing you problems in your life, we would love to pray for you this morning. If we can help you, come forward and be seated on the front as we sing the song of invitation.